1: Online at KFUO.org. Welcome.
2: Welcome to Concord Matters. Uh, this week I am Pastor Josh Vashear, Senior Pastor, of Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, coming to you remotely from. Uh, just about two inches of snow on the ground here in the high plains don't worry it'll be gone tomorrow um yeah great weather good things we're in the epiphany season wonderful things happening you are listening to concord matters uh the radio show where we go through the book of concord that is what we lutherans believe teach and confess uh every lutheran should know this stuff every lutheran pastor's ministry should be conformed to this stuff um Every Lutheran congregation should seek to have this stuff in its congregation, its practices, its worship, so forth. Uh this is why we study it, this is why we learn it, so that we can do these things, but also then confess these things before the world, all those people looking on around us, the confused Christians, the pagans, everybody. So uh we will uh gladly go through some of that today. I am joined with two guests today. First is my own circuit visitor, Pastor Lincoln Winter, who is pastor Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, uh Wyoming. Um, and then also he can explain briefly his uh, <clears throat> his new triple-point parish trial. Glad to have you with us, Pastor Winter.
0: Good to be here. That two inches of snow uh, will be gone tomorrow because it will all have blown onto the interstates, thereby closing the roads. That's <laughs> life in Wyoming.
2: <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was going to blow it all into Nebraska, but that works. Well,
0: they get all our water, t- that is also true, but... Uh, yeah, but mostly it seems to be stopping on roads I need to drive on.
2: Huh? yes, and you have to drive on more of those roads now because you serve two more parishes, correct?
0: Yes, yes I do. 134 miles end to end. It's quite an adventure.
2: Ah, yes, indeed. Life in the LCMS pastorate. So, And yes, I also I joined like with pastor... Circuit riders of old. Circuit riders, that's right. So we just stop calling you circuit visitor and we'll call you circuit rider. How about that? There we go. <laughs> that works. All right, and I'm also joined with Pastor Mike Greevy, longtime uh, guest here at Concord Matters, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Golden, Illinois. Uh, welcome, Pastor Greevy.
1: Pastor here good to be with you this afternoon, and um, you'll be glad to know, as I'm sure uh, Pastor Winter will as well, that I have a half a block to walk in order to get to my parish. So
2: it's, <laughs> you know...
1: Um and we are and we're actually uh surprisingly um have about uh, ten inches of snow on the ground, which is a bit unusual in uh western Illinois in January. It seems like we get our most of our snow in February. But anyway, a little bit different this year. So but that's okay with me. I like snow, so
2: uh, snow can stay to the north. That's that's my <laughs> feeling about snow. But we could use the water always. So that's just how it goes here in the deserts of the high plains so all right we are in the apology of the augsburg confession Uh, this again is the defense of lutheran teachings after the roman catholic theologians tried to tear apart the augsburg confession very unsuccessfully Uh, but they tried and in order to refute them we put out this apology Uh, philip melanchthon chief author of it we are in article 24 that is on the mass so this is going to be about worship lord's supper these kind of things and we left off last week, uh, they left off after paragraph 88. So we are in paragraph 89, which has the subtitle of The Mass for the Dead. So, Pastor Grevy, what's, what's this word, mass? Let's just I'll get a couple of definitions out there so that way our listeners can know and follow along nicely.
1: Yes, very good. Um, the term mass, which is taken up in the previous section, um, refers to um, a good way to describe it as the communion of many. Um, the old term, uh, the old name synaxis, as the apology uses here. So um, it is that which we partake of, by which we partake of the very body and blood of Christ. It is the communion of many on the body and blood of Jesus uh, in the divine service. So that is, properly speaking, that's how we uh, properly define the Mass and carry it out, uh, faithfully, according to how Christ instituted it, uh, which goes along with uh, the other word that's in that uh, section of the apology, which is liturgy, which is properly speaking of uh, the public ministry, namely that one minister consecrates and gives the Lord's body and blood to the people, just as also one minister preaches the gospel to the people. Um, so that um, so the carrying out of the mass. Uh, really, is the carrying out of the fruits of christ 's cross of christ 's sacrifice on the cross, the atonement of sin uh, by which we now enjoy the fruits of that uh, in eating and drinking his body and blood
2: and this is going to be one of the biggest points of contention right that that the Roman Catholic understanding is that the the priest is offering actual sacrifice kind of supplementing christ 's work, so to speak, whereas the Lutheran would say no that the the pastor is there. Uh, distributing, delivering, those kind of things, correct?
1: Absolutely, right. Not not a re-sacrifice uh, in any way, shape, or form, but rather a distribution of the one-time sacrifice, the distribution of the fruits of the one-time sacrifice of Christ that atoned for the sin of the world.
2: Right, but we but we also want to refrain from any kind of idea of reenactment, correct?
1: Exactly, right. We want to m- make it known that uh, there is no reenactment of the sacrifice, uh, but this is the sacrament, which we can also talk about that word, which is distinct from sacrifice and different because in a sacrament we are receiving the benefits of the forgiveness of sins that were won on the cross when Christ did die for the sin of the world. So a sacrament uh, differs uh, from sacrifice uh, quite a bit
2: all right, excellent, pastor winter um this this word mass sometimes people use this also then for like the whole of the divine service, correct yes all right uh,
0: that is that is correct the uh, it originally referred to the dismissal at the end of the service before the sacrament of the altar um, it's from the word misa or which is dismissal. And so uh, the the people who weren't having communion would be excused, and then only those who were receiving the sacrament would be allowed in the Church for that. So catechumens would would not be there. And eventually that dismissal uh, became kind of the distinguishing mark of the service, because that meant you were dismissing those who weren't having the sacrament, so everyone couldn't. So it kind of came to embody the whole service uh, over the years. And that's the word that's still used, even in Lutheranism, in just about every language except english and for some reason in english we've struggled with what to call the divine service because divine service is okay but it's a little unwieldy to use it's kind of a, kind of um, clunky and so
2: well mass mass is too catholic so you know we just we we always have to stay away from that right <laughs>
0: <Balty>. yeah but <laughs> i mean in in german it that's still uh what it's what it's often called and there the deutsche messe was a very common name for compositions that were Lutheran—they uh, were settings of the Lutheran Mass uh, or Lutheran Divine Service throughout history. And and that's—if uh, you ever see Deutsche Messa—that means almost certainly a Lutheran one uh, rather than the the Roman version. But that's—it's a word that's huh. used. Like I say, every language except English uh, still quite often uses that. It seems, uh, but for some reason we we struggle with that. And so, uh, there are some people who prefer the German word for divine service, Gottesdienst, which, um, and you have to give that O just a little bit of a of a of a kick, not Gottesdienst, Gottesdienst, uh, and they they insist on that, but for some reason, um, <laughs> but divine service works just as well. Um, uh, mass uh, is is a good historical term. It doesn't mean. Roman Catholic, when our confessions condemn it, they're condemning a, a specific part of it, and that is, of course, the sacrifice of the Mass. Not, the,
2: read not the word, right? That's not the right. word, nor That's even the, the use of exact. the word. Right, yeah. right. Boy, that that, sounds, that early church practice you're describing sounds really unfriendly and uh, not very welcoming to, to actually ask people to leave church halfway through. Yeah, it. They probably I mean, didn't they have the, the same the, consultants that we have...
0: Yeah, they so. they used to even, uh, back in the days, You know, people talk about, we should be like the early church when they were excited about evangelism. They would actually uh, bar the door. And so somebody right. was standing uh, at the door to make sure no one snuck back in and then would make the announcement, uh, the holy things for the holy people or things of God for the people of God. I mean, when they talked about closed communion, man, they meant the door was closed. You, you couldn't just wander in. In fact, in some of the really earliest literature of the church, uh, it, it talks about the requirements you had to fulfill to even attend the service. You couldn't mm. just walk into a church service. They'd ask who your sponsor was if you wanted to just come and see the service. And then you had to, you, your sponsor had to attest to your character. You couldn't even be a, a hearer, much less a catechumen, uh, unless you met certain qualifications. And there were certain jobs that you either had to quit that job or you could not attend the service to even listen.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, yeah.
2: That's another interesting and set I, of practices. And I, think,
1: and I think some of that uh, historically even can go back and you can, I think, trace some of that back to Old Testament Israel in regards to uh, being outside the congregation. Uh, in other words, if you if you didn't meet... Uh, certain specifications—you were—you were outside the congregation, and you were not allowed in. The foreigner was not allowed in, um, and so some of that even—some yeah, of that even goes back to Old Testament times as well. Not in regards, obviously, not in regards to uh, what were you know the Lord's Supper uh, then, but uh, certainly in regards to other things, since as being being a part of the community, it, it does go back to Old
2: Testament Israel even. Hmm. So some exclusivity, which of course nowadays is frowned upon, but uh, this is what happens though when you have reverence for God's name and God's word and God's things, is uh, you might want some exclusivity because of course you're dealing with the Holy God and the holy things and you know things that might, if if mishandled, misused, might evoke the wrath of God upon individuals. And well, this is of course why closed communion is also practiced sometimes, is that you're trying to prevent harm from happening to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. And uh, typically we let those who do not know what they're doing, we don't really just let them do whatever they want. We typically have to step in and help take care of them every once in a while. All right, let's get into the Mass for the Dead here. Paragraph 89 and following. Uh, Our adversaries have no references and no command from Scripture for defending the use of the ceremony for freeing the souls of the dead. Yet they receive unlimited revenue from this. Certainly, it is no light sin to establish such services in the church without God's command and without the example of scripture and to apply the Lord's Supper to the dead. It was set up for commemoration and preaching among the living. This violates the second commandment by abusing God's name. So again, second commandment matters. And, uh, people don't usually think about this when they're thinking about worship. They, they think maybe about the third commandment. Uh, usually not even that. Uh, but they, uh, they really aren't thinking about the use of God's name, how the second commandment would apply. Uh, Pastor Greavy, <clears throat> what's this insistence that we have to have a reference or command from Scripture for the ceremony? I thought I thought we could develop whatever ceremonies we wanted.
1: Right. Well, they um, yeah, ceremonies are there uh, to teach us what we need to know about Christ, and so um, there's an obvious reference to a ceremony needing to have a clear connection to Christ, which means that doing what is right in our own eyes is really not in keeping with Christian freedom. So we have certain, I guess, for uh, orders and structure and so forth that's in place, and the ceremonies are to reflect what the doctrine is, what the doctrine teaches. So, you know, what we have here in the, in the paragraph that you just read is we have already multiple problems that are being identified. Uh, one is the connection of money to the mass. So the, yeah, I mean, says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And they, so this, they have the, that and then and then it's it's all in it's all connected and tied up with God's name also and the abuse of it under the under the second commandment.
2: So um, so just to explain this a little bit further, yeah. I mean a mass for the dead would be something that someone paid for for a dead relative, a dead friend, somebody who passed away. That's you would right. pay the local priest or monastery or, or whatever. Right. Um you'd you'd pay them an amount of money to say a mass in in remembrance or in commemoration of your of your uh, dead loved one, and yes. really not even in commemoration, but more like to help them to free them to you know because you got purgatory hit, sitting behind all of this. Oh yeah. Right. So so this is yes. what's happening, right? Is you're paying money so that people can get out of purgatory? There is a very real belief uh,
1: by those who you know participate in this that there's a benefit given to the deceased and that that will tie into you know what will what will get in i want to give it don't want to give everything away now but the term ex opera operato which we'll get into here shortly but
2: um i wouldn't yeah. be so sure of that so there's a, there's
1: a there's a belief there that some that's that the deceased is receiving some benefit from this mass that has been purchased on on the behalf of the deceased
2: well and i I just recently saw uh one of my members brought this scrapbook in it was like a funeral scrapbook um that was done in the eighties and it was for someone who had had a horrible accident and so forth so it was a younger person and inside of it were all these little cards that said uh this family has donated that a mass would be said in your son's honor and so this this there's like seventy five cards like that in there that you know different people had paid. So this is the 1980s, you know, recent, uh, relatively recent, and and people right. were still paying for masses for the dead.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, they still do today. Yeah, still do today, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Right. So, this this is an incredibly relevant section of our confession still, uh, as they all would be uh, for anyone who would like to try to play the uh, irrelevant and so forth games, uh, yeah, well, they should probably find a different confession since they're most likely of one anyways.
0: So I, I saw on uh, eBay buy it now. You could have a mass for the dead said by a retired priest for a hundred bucks.: mm.
2: Wow! it's a good but way to fund they retirement they, wanted, they, didn't
0: want to, they didn't want to get him in trouble with his bishop, so there was no actual evidence that it happened.
2: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Wow, oh, man. All right, so let's find out how this violates the second commandment and abuses God's name first. It dishonors the gospel to hold that a ceremony by the outward act, ex opere operato, without faith, is a sacrifice reconciling God and making satisfaction for sins. It is a horrible saying to assign as much importance to the work of a priest as to Christ's death. Again, sin and death cannot be overcome except by faith in Christ, as Paul teaches. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Therefore... The punishment of purgatory cannot be overcome by applying to one person the work of another. All right, Pastor Grevy, you mentioned this Latin phrase before. If you would explain it a little bit now.
1: Yes, ex opere operato. Uh, by the mere doing of the outward act or by the mere ceremony, um, grace is believed to be conferred upon another So in other words, in this context here, what we're talking about today, the Mass for the dead, the belief is that by virtue of the performance of a Mass, the purchase and the carrying out of a Mass for a deceased person, the belief is that the deceased person is receiving a benefit because of the mere doing of the ceremony, ex operato, without faith, because... Obviously, in this case, the person is deceased now, of course, they would make the argument which they do about purgatory, which is mentioned later in this paragraph that there 's still a state of, of of a state in which a person can still be changed after death, that state of purgatory as it is referred to um, but of course we we would reject that as well, and we do reject that, that the that once the person is dead, um, they don't receive they don't receive any benefits anymore uh, for this life in regards to the next because they've received everything that they already need. They received everything that they need for eternal life. They have the crown of righteousness already uh, in death when they die, uh, so they don't need this. They don't need this for the dead, and they certainly and they certainly are not benefited ex opera operato by it either.
2: Right. So just just by being there we're all good, right? I mean that's that's kind of what what this is saying is that It is, right? Yeah, you just it show is. up, things are done, go home, you benefited somehow. No, you don't even need to show up. That's true. Now you can just pay for it you, for somebody to do it for somebody else, so Yeah.
0: Yeah. When when you if you ever go to Europe and look at the cathedrals, they've got all those little um those little chapels around the main altar. Those little chapels in Luther's day would have been filled with priests just saying one mass after another for dead people, trying to get them kicked out of purgatory and up up to heaven. I and mean, that's 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 what funded those. I mean, that was mm-hmm. purgatory was the the greatest church stewardship idea ever. Mm-hmm. I mean. <laughs>
1: the stewardship well, I, I, program for you, right? Yeah. It's
2: a good thing they believe in transubstantiation, otherwise they'd be drinking a lot of wine. So, Yeah. So, But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the joke there, of course, being that transubstantiation would say that the substance of the material is, is changed from the wine to the blood, thereby removing, really, the wine. So, But anyway, of course, that's not true. That's not what Scripture says, but go figure. Uh, Roman Catholics, uh, well, when you don't have to just trust in Scripture, you have to trust in other things. Well, this is what happens. All right, paragraph 90. Now we will leave out the sort of references about purgatory that the adversaries have, what kinds of punishments they think there are in purgatory, what grounds the doctrine of satisfactions has, which we have shown above to be most empty. We will only present the following in opposition. Certainly the Lord's Supper was set up because of the pardon of guilt. It offers the forgiveness of sins where it is necessary that guilt be truly understood. Yet it does not make satisfaction for guilt. Otherwise, the Mass would be equal to Christ's death. The pardon of guilt can be received only through faith. Therefore, the Mass is not a satisfaction, but a promise and sacrament that require faith. Alright, so we're talking here of the proper use of the sacrament versus improper use. Uh, Pastor Greve, we've only got about three minutes before we head out into our hard break at the half-hour mark. Uh, why don't you give a little commentary here about this this correction? I mean, they've already dealt with purgatory in the previous articles. They've already dealt with some of the some of the other stuff in the previous eighty-nine paragraphs of this article. Um, so here we have the the argument about the Lord's Supper specifically.
1: This is a great paragraph because um, it focuses on the benefits necessarily being received through faith, and which, is, which is still uh, tying it in with the previous paragraph. So in other words, even for those, um, and even for those uh, who are living, because that's who the Lord's Supper is for, the Lord's Supper is for the living, uh, it's not for the dead. Uh, we have, um, it's not for the dead in terms of uh, masses for the dead. We have this teaching that um, it is received through faith, so it it, it in it in and of itself is does not make satisfaction for guilt uh, on the mere performance of it. Um, otherwise, as the confessors note, that would make the mass equal to Christ's death, but it is right. it is distinct from it. Um, there's a distinction. Christ's death is really what. Gives us the mass right yeah. death is really what gives us his supper
2: well this is this is the same confusion that most people have they they get confused with you know the delivery uh, versus where it's earned versus where it's delivered and, yes. and so forth. This is why right. we have people who try to take Good Friday and turn it into let's run back to the cross, even though your odds of believing at the cross are pretty slim um so, so this is all similar kind of error. We'll we'll pick this up after the break. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Concord Matters here on KFUAM Radio, the Messenger of the Good News, and uh, we're picking up with the masses of the dead after this next break.
0: Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor This week on Issues Etc., we'll discuss baptism and vocation with Dr. Ben Mays. We'll have Pastor David Peterson lead us in a teaching on the conversion of Paul. We'll talk with Pastor Peter Bender about the necessity of divine service. And we'll continue our series on the book of Proverbs with Pastor Jonathan
1: Fisk. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5
2: on KFUO. I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news, AM 850 in St. Louis, worldwide at kfuo.org.
0: For economic reasons, most Dutch painters of the 17th century painted landscapes, city views and portraits. So what motivated Rembrandt to create more than 300 works of art on biblical themes? Art historians suggest Rembrandt may have been inspired by Bible stories from his mother. He also tended to portray the more human side of even the most heroic biblical
1: characters. Favorite subjects included Hebrew Bible figures such as Abraham, Ruth, Saul, and David. His brush strokes captured dramatic moments,
0: including the blinding of Samson, the stoning of Stephen, and the crucifixion of Jesus.
1: Rembrandt's motivation to capture the Bible on canvas is not fully known, but his masterpieces grace the halls of museums all around the world.
0: Engage with the Bible and its impact across history.
1: Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C.
2: Welcome back to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM uh, radio. And I am your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear. I have with me Pastor Lincoln Winter as well as Pastor Mike Greeby. We're going through the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, albeit slowly. Article twenty-four, paragraph. Uh, we're going to pick up at paragraph ninety, ninety-one, somewhere in there. Um, we left off before the break talking about how uh, the the confusion that can result of where our salvation is earned versus where uh, Christ gives it, and of course. The confusion starts in the Roman Catholic Church because, of course, you think that you still have to go to church to make more sacrifice. That is more, uh, that to, that to pardon your guilt, you need to make more satisfaction, uh, through your sacrifices. Uh, Lutheran understanding, of course, is no. The sacraments give us the full completed work of Christ to be received by faith. Uh, that is by trusting him and his promises. And then, of course, our praise, would be a result of that our sacrifices are a result of having been given that but hey this is just exactly what you see all around you in the world today uh in evangelical circles uh in in mixed up and confused lutheran church missouri synod circles uh the idea that oh i i have to bring something to worship first you know so when you ask me well tell me what worship is and their first definition is something they do rather than Worship is receiving the good gifts of God that is word and sacrament by faith. And then, my praise, my prayers, my thanksgivings, and so forth. Um, you just, This is the confusion of being catechized by evangelicalism and, really, medieval Roman Catholicism, because that's their understanding of worship as well. Um, so, Pastor Winter, you want to give some comment here on worship stuff?
0: <laughs> worship stuff? Sure. Uh, well it it is amazing to me how much how often evangelical and Roman Catholic theology uh, teach effectively the same plan of salvation, uh, considering how how little they usually care for each other. Um, but you have Well that's you've
2: that's because so their theologies sure. go back to the old Adam.
0: I mean right. I'm, I'm not sure where to begin. I mean the the, the classic one is, you know, in, in evangelical and Roman Catholic theology you have to go to church so you can get forgiveness. Uh, in Lutheran theology, that's not it at all. You get to go to church so you can get forgiveness. Uh, it's it's gospel. It's where the gift is given. It's like saying to your kids on Christmas morning, if you don't open those gifts, you won't be able to get any of the goodies Santa brought. And having the kids go, oh, mom, man, I don't want to have to go to all that trouble opening gifts. Yuck. I, that's ridiculous. Uh, and then they... and then. They turn the Christmas tree, the sacrament of the altar, in, into this place where the people are going out and buying their own gifts. I and mean, it's, it's stunning. I mean, the entire theology of the sacraments can be seen on Christmas morning around the tree. God giving the gifts, and we receive them. And the other beautiful thing about that image is every kid knows where to look for the gifts on Christmas morning. You don't go hunting through the house. You go to the Christmas tree, looking under the tree for the gifts. You know, that's where your parents have given you the goods. But Santa has given you the goods. Spoiler alert. Uh, but the, the, they try to make it into something that we do, uh, and then uh, people try to make the the sacrament in, into this, this work of ours. Uh, and the evangelicals try to make it like, we don't know what, look in your heart. You know, well, look to the, your pilgrimage to the Holy Land, or, or look here, or, or look at your feelings. I mean, they're looking everywhere, except where God has promised to be. He literally said, this is my body. You, you cannot get clearer than that. Yeah, I mean, I once maybe, a- he would have given us some sign if he really meant that it was his body. Oh, like perhaps saying, this is my body? Yeah. It's stunningly clear in Scripture. The other thing is that, that Rome denies about the sacrament is they deny that it gives forgiveness for all sins. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says it forgives venial sins, not mortal sins. Those can only be forgiven in what they call reconciliation, but what is penance. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. you, you have to go and confess those specifically to the priest to get well, that's forgiveness. That,
2: that's because priests and bishops say, have to doesn't. hear the special sins. What's that? So That's because priests yeah. and bishops get to hear the special secret mortal sins
0: right but they yeah they they jesus didn't put an asterisk next to shed for you for the forgiveness of sins there's no part of the sins some of the sins all of the sins so you know we were talking before about uh closed communion um i mean why do we not give communion to those who deny the real presence Well, because they deny the word of christ and paul says you can you can die from it but Rome denies the word of Christ too, because he says, "Given for the forgiveness of your sins," uh, and and they they say, "Well, some of your sins." Uh, and the other reason to practice closed communion is because you know, you mentioned uh, the the ill effects uh, that it can harm someone if they take it wrongly and unworthily. People kind of spiritualize that and turn it into this gnostic. You know, well, it could cause you some sort of spiritual harm someday. Paul says. For this reason, many of you are sick, and some of you have died. This right. is a Fifth Commandment issue. It can literally kill you in this world to take the sacrament wrongly. And if people don't believe that, they're denying Scripture.
2: Correct. I mean, that's
0: Paul's second, Which is then blank. a Second
2: Commandment issue. So,
0: yeah, it's, uh, yeah, right. Second Commandment and Fifth Commandment. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, there, there are there are real reasons we do we don't give the sacrament to those who are not worthy to receive it, uh, because it can do harm if they receive it wrongly, uh, right. and that's something I, I wish our CTCR would address a little more clearly. Commission on Theology Church Relations. They always tend to go with, "Well, we're not in fellowship," which is true, uh, but scripture is clear that and when luther talks about it he always speaks in terms of worthy and unworthy reception and and that's something we i think need to make clear because if you talk about fellowship people like yeah but i mean we are kind of one in christ aren't we and and now you get into in into the wrong discussion um i mean it's rude today to say someone would receive it unworthily well i believe in jesus yes but you don't believe jesus word right it's very clear um so there, I, I went. Yeah, I'm, when you when you when you, it, when you say when you say someone's
2: unworthy, I mean, when you say someone's unworthy, that that just comes off as mean. I mean,
0: it does. It, it's almost like we're saying people sin. Um, I did a I did a funeral for a pastor recently, and uh, the topic of the funeral was how wrong it is in funerals these days to say that the the dearly departed was a sinner. I said, and the the pastor chose he picked as one of the hymns he wanted chief of sinners though i be
2: and a funeral area
0: there i I said you know so if we were to if we were to omit that i said we would be dishonoring him because that was his confession so much that out of all the hymns he knew from his whole ministry he picked that one to be sung because he wanted to be clear that he was the chief of sinners and then that beautiful second line this ties right back in Jesus shed His blood for me. That is a sufficient sacrifice. Rome does this thing where they say, "Well, no, Jesus forgives us our sins, but we're still impure in the flesh in this world, and we have to work that off." As, as if somehow we get partial right, we get eternal righteousness from Jesus, but temporal righteousness we need to work out for ourselves. Well, right? Are they not clear? Jesus didn't do some kind of spiritual eternal. He did a physical death. He lived a physical life. So that he could really cleanse us from real sins in this world, and, and cleanse us in this world from those sins.
2: Uh, well, well, you see, when you when you spiritualize everything, though, it, it gets easier to do whatever you want in this life. You know, I mean, you can. Well, you can that is carry true. On. I mean, right. I mean, if you just spiritualize it all, it, it just be, it's easier to conduct your life however you think is best. So rather yeah, than actually having to. Yeah, you can become to, a
0: mystic or a moralist or whatever you want, but right that exactly that's, that's not how scripture works scripture works incarnationally and and our Lord Jesus lived in this world so that we in this world would be forgiven our in this world sins so we could go to be with him in eternity
2: I I'm, I'm pretty and, sure I have to develop an award now because I think that might be the first time the word incarnationally was used in the shows five years so
0: <laughs> oh so. uh, yeah I'm sure that's it's, it's a it's a word that Lutherans just shy away from really.
2: Huh? It, it's it's a word that you know it, it is what it is. So let's let's look at this godly persons how we should respond to such abuses as as the Roman Catholic mass for the dead and how they believe that you know they're going to do something more for the dead than than what Jesus could do. Uh, so paragraph ninety one. Certainly all godly persons should be seized with the bitterest grief if they consider that the greater portion of the Mass has been transferred to the dead and to satisfactions for punishments. This banishes the daily sacrifice from the Church. This is the kingdom of Antiochus, who transferred the most beneficial promises about the pardon of guilt and about faith to the emptiest opinions about satisfactions. This pollutes the Gospel and corrupts the use of the sacraments. Paul said that these persons are guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. They have hindered the doctrine about faith and the forgiveness of sins, and under the appearance of satisfactions have devoted the Lord's body and blood to sacrilegious profit. At some time they will pay the penalty for this sacrilege. Therefore we in all godly consciences should guard against approving the abuses of the adversaries. That's some uh, firm language there from Philip Melanchthon, which is... Rare. He doesn't usually bring that out, but uh, here, when the gospel is at stake, he certainly knows how to speak firmly and condemn openly and uh, so forth. It's an essential part of confessing the gospel. Pastor Greve, what's up with this uh, antiochus stuff? And 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 what's? Can we explain some of that for some of the listeners?
1: Well, this discussion about satisfaction satisfactions is at the heart of this. So, um. When they're talking about satisfactions here, the confessors are referring to satisfactions being made for punishments. Um, So in the case of the mass being transferred to the dead, um, it is believed there also that satisfactions for punishments in purgatory are being executed and carried out. And so uh, this is what the confessors are speaking against. Any other satisfaction other than the satisfaction of Christ's Christ sacrifice on the cross doesn't take away sins. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter whether it's um, you know profiting from from selling a mass for the dead. It doesn't matter whether it's believed that it uh, confers grace ex opere operato. It doesn't matter whether. Um, you believe that, you know, how many times you pray can be a satisfaction for sin. They're all insufficient. They all fall short. They all miss the mark. And the only satisfaction that matters is Christ's on the cross, his atonement. Uh, because that is what then keeps the sacrament what it is. That is what, that is what makes, the, that is what gives the Lord's Supper its very content. The, the words of Christ, uh, what, he says of the bread, this is my body. That's what it is. And this is the, this is the same body that he sacrificed as, as a pleasing aroma to his Father in heaven. This is the same blood that he shed. Not with silver or gold did he purchase our release, but with his holy, innocent, and precious blood shed. That's the only yeah. satisfaction that matters, and that's the only satisfaction that, uh, by by, by whose fruits we receive a benefit through faith.
2: Uh, so, would, the satisfaction of Christ. So, would a perversion here also then be like the idea of we do practice open communion because we want to be seen as welcoming and loving to everyone who comes in our doors? Is that simply put again? Uh, profaning this, the, the hindering the doctrine about faith, forgiveness of sins under the appearance of appearing winsome,
1: and Absolutely. so forth. I mean, is that
2: it, 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 the Roman Catholics yes. did it for profit. Well, yes. others do it now for gain in reputation, so to speak.
1: Absolutely, it still profanes the name of the Lord, uh, whether you're receiving money for it or not. If you teach, if your if your practice reflects a doctrine that is different than the one that jesus himself taught in the words of institution and that paul espouses in first corinthians um it's it's profaning the name of the lord among us absolutely and uh, that's something for which uh we too need repentance um uh, when, when and where it happens uh we need repentance ourselves for that um because open communion does does also does that it also profanes the name of the Lord. Um, and this is why, you know, when the 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 reasons for closed communion and Pastor Winter touched on a few of them uh, very well, uh, it's it all begins with the words of Jesus. It begins with the words of institution. Uh, what do you believe concerning these words? Do you exactly. believe that the bread is His body as He said it is,
2: or don't? Well, and such and such shepherds that would would offer the Lord's body and blood to those who are unprepared and unworthy. Um, yeah, I mean, as it says here, at some point, at some time, they will pay the penalty for this sacrilege. Um, this kind of, I mean, this right. is the language of our confessions. It's firm. It acknowledges that vengeance is the Lord's and that right. he will repay. And, of course, this right. is why we pray for ourselves, to have mercy, that God would have mercy on us for our sins. Yeah. But also this is yeah. why, you know what, we speak freely to one another and say, listen, you're wrong and you're sinning. Stop. Right, know? right, yeah. um, and yeah. think
1: of it, another way to think about it. Is this: What father among us would knowingly give even an put put even an ounce of rat poison in his child's oatmeal?
2: That that almost sounds like when Jesus says, "Which one of you has a father that when you ask him for bread would give you a snake or a stone or right something like that?" Right. right. Well, uh, I mean, who? What? What? what uh,
1: you know. Heaven forbid, God forbid, what pastor would knowingly give the body and blood of Jesus to someone's judgment. Uh, that's um, an, an unfaithful
2: one. That's an one.
1: unfaithful one. Well, that's true. That's true. And as Pastor Winter said, it's 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 not just a spir- spiritual danger. It's a bodily one also, as Paul clearly teaches.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we don't, we don't see that with our eyes always, so we, we don't necessarily believe it, which, of course, is another indictment of how things we go. Pastor Winter, uh, therefore we in all godly consciences should guard against approving the abuses of the adversaries. Uh, so this isn't even those that do it. This would be those that maybe kind of sit back and just let it happen. Is that what it's talking about, too? Is it kind of a silent approval or is it talking about more like the active approval?
0: Well, it can be either way, and, I mean, we need to be very careful uh, when dealing with spiritual matters. It's really easy to get caught up in the affairs of this world and, and accidentally uh, give approval to, to these abuses that they're talking about, uh, because, you know, I mean, the, we just had the March for Life this weekend. I, I saw a flyer that was a local March for Life, and, and item one on it was Mass at local Catholic church, I thought well if I share that am I endorsing the mass too? I mean we we need to be very careful that that our testimony is always clear and doesn't give the impression that we're approving something that God in his word uh says no to and and forbids us to do and and Luther says with regard to the second commandment uh I mean we usually think of that as you know don't take the don't don't say God's name frivolously but Luther says the greatest abuse of this is in the doctrine, in false teaching, in claiming that God teaches something he doesn't. And, uh, you know, this is, I mean, there's all sorts of joint confessions now that people want us to sign, and, oh, well, will sign this confession saying that we all agree that marriage is between a man and a woman. Well, yeah, but what else does it say in invoking God's name and someone from, like, a Muslim signs it? Uh, are, are we now saying that we have the same God? Uh, we we can't even do that, and so the the temptation
2: the the to, answer to that, by the to way, to misuse
0: is, God's name is is very great now. And they say, oh no, but you know this is so that we have the freedom to speak the gospel. There's a great quote from, uh, I, well, it's not a quote, but I, I just heard this story from. uh was told by Richard uh, Verbrant that when when he was in uh, pr- imprisoned for being a, being a Christian back in, in communist days behind the Iron Curtain, he said that we like to share the gospel with the people in the prison with us, and the guards like to beat us whenever we shared the gospel. And so we were all happy. We got to share the gospel. They got to beat us. This idea that we can be forbidden from, from confessing Christ somehow is false. We can be ruined in this world for confessing Christ. We can be killed in this world for confessing Christ, but we cannot be forbidden from confessing Christ. And there's a long line of martyrs that testify to that. And so this idea, well, we're just looking for the freedom to do it. No, you're looking for the ability to do it without consequence. And that's fine that we have had that in our nation to this point. But if that ends, that does not end our confession. We continue to confess. But the important thing right now is that we confess clearly and that we confess rightly, because that is what God will reward, just as surely as he promises to punish those who transgress these commandments.
2: Well, this this is an important point. And, and first of all, no, uh, we do not have the same God as a, as a Muslim. Uh, we don't. That's just not possible. Uh, but secondly... You know what? Our confessions say some things about these other groups of folks, as we're addressing you know the masses for the dead here, about Roman Catholics. Well, guess what? We've talked about evangelicals already in this show. We've got differences. We've got differences with Baptists. We've got differences with folks. And, and those differences are, are not insignificant. And, and in fact, does our confession alongside of them confuse others about those differences? Because those differences are matters of the second commandment. Of of true or false teaching, and so uh, if our mutual confession is confusing folks, uh, boy, maybe maybe we don't need to always make it, Uh, or maybe we're better off making it just purely on our own. There's always that option as well. Uh, Just one of the
0: phrases I get so tired of hearing is, "Well, what message would it send?" You know, at a certain point, (laughs) perhaps the message we should send is that we take these things seriously and that we think that speaking the word of God is a fearful thing to even attempt, and we want to make sure we get it right, and we want to treat reverently the things of God and treat them as the holy things they are. That may be perhaps an answer that that needs to be given sometimes.
2: Well, therefore we in all godly consciences should guard against approving the abuses of the adversaries. I mean, it's... it's, Oh, yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with that. Yeah, I just we want to guard against any sense of approval of false doctrine um... that would be really bad so um... pastor Grebe, do you want to do you want to add on to that
1: well i think it was luther and uh... and even walter too who said that it is both necessary to condemn falsehood as well as confess what is good and affirm what is right and beautiful and true um, and so we need to do both. We we need to do both. Um, we have to um, say what is false, and we have to say what is true. And both of those, by the way, are loving. And I, you know, we just I know that that's you know in no way, shape, or form does the world believe that. And a lot of times, you know, other Christians from other denominations don't believe it either. Uh, they, you know, there's this belief that it's unloving to speak the truth. Um, but which, which
2: is, is, I mean, which is a lie because I mean, a lie God's because word would define love you, as even correction.
1: Correct. Yes, you cannot cannot drive a wedge between love and truth. Uh, love does not rejoice in iniquity; it rejoices in the truth. Um, so we've got to hold those two things together: love and truth. They have to be held together tightly and succinctly, and uh, speak clearly and make the good confession. That's right.
2: Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. All right. Okay, we got like three minutes, I think, before the end of our show. So this next section actually starts out a new section, Returning to the Matter. Uh, so let's not get into that. But uh, this is, I think there was a book out by Concordia Publishing House that said, uh, We Condemn. And it was about the condemnations of the Book of Concord. Great little read. And it, it talked explicitly about that, that need to to draw lines and to to mark you know no that's wrong that's false uh in order to properly teach what's true and i think that's what you're just talking about pastor gravy um, so, um yeah and that speaking that is,
1: that is um it, that is ultimately in the long run helpful for our people as well because it, it clears things up in their mind also uh because otherwise minds i mean i know uh Certainly, my mind gets muddied by things at various times, and it it certainly holds true that you know the minds of our people get muddied not only by things that happen in the world on a daily basis, uh, but sometimes with things that happen in the church. And um, you know we're 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 losing. I mean, I guess if there is a battle that we're losing, uh, we're losing it in the culture. But the Church is never—we're not—the thing, the thing that we have to remember in the Church, I think also, is that we are not called to change the world. That is not what the Church is for. The Church is called to be different from the world, right? not I to stayed. change it necessarily. people, with The Church exists to call people out of their worldliness, to call people out of the world— and to uh, and to follow Christ and to be in in fellowship with Him and in communion with Him and with, therefore to be in communion with love and the truth, but that's uh, you know Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, and so that's really what the church is about. The church is not the church is countercultural. It always has been and it always will be, and it needs to be. Uh, right. Because we can't be friends with we can't be friends with the world. The world and the lost of it is is dying, as John says.
2: Yep. <clears throat> exactly. And since I mentioned a book. I want to give a chance to Pastor Winter to just give a little introduction. Uh, you have uh, literally a minute to do so of your new book that's coming out on catechetics and where people can find it eventually and when do you think it'll be out and so forth.
0: Oh, uh, sometime in the next couple months. Uh, yeah, it's called catechetics. If you don't know what that means, the book's probably not for you. If you do know what it means, you probably should get it. Uh, it's gonna be the first look at, uh, comprehensive look at catechesis in the Lutheran Church in a hundred years, and uh, available at teachthesethings.wordpress.com. Uh, and just want to say, Pastor grievey wow, uh, everything you said today agree 110 percent with, and so well-spoken. Um, man, it's always good to listen to other pastors
1: uh, speak the Word so clearly. So thank you. Yes, it is. Well, and yes, you as well, is. and I look forward to that book. It sounds, it sounds like a great one, indeed.
2: Yeah, yeah I think he'll, I think right he'll do pretty well with it. I think I've got a review copy that I'm supposed to be reading, so I probably should get to going on, on doing that. So <laughs> I should probably uh, get to sending it to you. <laughs> uh, that that would be probably good. And there's your reminder. So, hey, you've been listening to Concord Matters this week. We've been talking about Masses for the Dead, but we've been talking about worship, closed communion, all these things, how do they tie together. Hopefully you see how our theology has this life and how it's never, uh, never old, uh, because, of course, it's God's Word. God's Word never grows old so you're listening to Concord Matters, uh, thank you to our guests, Pastor Grieving, Pastor Winter this week. Uh, until next time, uh, may the Lord bless you. Go find a church. Uh, ask your pastors to be faithful. Let, uh, let that book of Concord uh, be off the shelf and in your hands. Have a good week.